0: All right. Good good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's uh, Karen Kay, recovered compulsive eater from Syracuse, New York, and our credit zone transfer. And today is December 25th, 2021. Welcome to the um, Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will be studying the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either the host or any co host, private message in the chat function. Please note that Harlan G. will be recorded for the duration of this study. However, the questions and answer sessions will follow will not be recorded. We'll post a link of the previous weeks and recordings in the chat. I'm sure Shua will give me a hand with that. We ask that you please that you keep your microphone mute at all times during today's study. And also turn off your video if you're exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason. We'll also post the 12... 12- the link to the previous 12 recordings of the 7th edition in the chat function. And now we'll introduce Harlan G. Welcome, Harlan. We're going to Thanks, end up Karen.
1: On... Go ahead, Harlan. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your service this morning. And to all who celebrate, I want to wish every one of you a wonderful, happy, merry Christmas. And I hope that your holiday is bringing you great joy and love. And I hope that whether it's Christmas or whether it's whatever day of the year it is, that you are are enjoying life to the fullest. Last week, we were talking about the very magical series of unlikely events that brought this big book to life, that brought this big book to the world. And you know, the... The the philosopher Scott Peck, he wrote a book, uh, a very famous book, and he, he wrote actually quite a number of books, but he wrote one that's extremely famous. He said, and I agree with him, that ultimately in the millennia to follow, the 20th century will be known for three things. The first one being man's flight at Kitty Hawk, the Wright brothers, who catapulted us into the airplane age of flight changed military, changed the world with their flight at Kitty Hawk, changed the world forever. And then the computer slash atomic age was another thing that the world will remember the 20th century for in the millennia to come. And the third event that he said that the world would remember the 20th century for is the event that occurred with the formation of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was printed, this book was printed on April the 10th, 1939. And it was the culmination of many unlikely things scribed by an unlikely person, edited and re-edited and commented on by people that were a lot less than holy. People say, oh, it's like the Bible, or it's this, or it's that. I believe that one thing for sure I will always believe is that the book was written by God, and I will never, ever back off on that belief. And the reason that I believe that this book was written by God is because this book and its contents and the people around the formation of the book have restored more alcoholics, more drug addicts, more gamblers, more compulsive overeaters, more sex and love addicts, more nicotine addicts, more whatever you can name back to productive society than all other methods combined. That for thousands of years, the alcoholic, the people related to the alcoholic by blood or affection, the compulsive overeater, the drug addict, yes, they had drug addicts thousands of years ago. There was a war fought over opium. Drugs have been around for thousands of years. You didn't just discover drugs in the 1960s. They have been around for a very, very long time. They have this book and its contents have restored more addicts back to society than all other methods combined. And although some of the language may seem archaic to us today, the book is timeless. The contents is are timeless. The truths are timeless. And the most important thing I can remember today is on page 88 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And on page 88 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, there is a sentence that I wanna to remember today as best I can. And the sentence is, it works, it really does. This morning, we're gonna be talking primarily about the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we're gonna be talking about the formation and some of the history behind the traditions. And these traditions do not always get uh, star treatment. We focus on the steps. Uh, and, and there's a lot of reasons why we focus on the steps, but the traditions are very, very important. And it is important, I believe, to give them a little bit, not a little bit, to give them the credible study that they need this morning so we can better appreciate how we interact with one another and that there are some traditions. And one of the things we want to remember is the word traditions was brilliant. He knew that alcoholics didn't want rules. I didn't come here for rules. I I came here to find love, damn it. And I want to find love. I don't want rules. He knew that. And he knew at the end of his life, he said, Bill Wilson said, we are are selfish, immature rebels. We are self-centered, immature rebels. And that's why this disease is a disease that God in his infinite wisdom brought us not only to him, but to each other. And we need each other in a very profound and special way. Let's go to page XVIII. XVIII is 18 in Roman numerals. It's 18 in Roman numerals. And we are in the... Forward to the second edition, and we're at the bottom of the page. Our society then entered. We're at the bottom of XVIII, and we're at the bottom of the page. Our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. Now, I want to stop right there. I know it's kind of hard sometimes to stop after one sentence, but I wanted the sentence to sort of introduce what we're going to be talking about. One of the people that was very instrumental in the formation of this big book, when I say he was instrumental, he was not as instrumental in the contents of the book. He was extremely instrumental in that Alcoholics Anonymous still owns the big book. Because you see, there was a publishing house that offered Bill Wilson back in 1938, 15 a hundred dollars to let them publish this book and fifteen hundred dollars in 1938 at the height of the depression world war ii had not occurred yet had not started yet in in the united states fifteen hundred dollars sounded like a heck of a lot of money and hank parkhurst pulled bill and said he pulled him aside and he says wait a minute If they're willing to give us $1,500, let's think about that. This thing must be worth a lot more. And he convinced Bill to print the book so that AA would own the book and own its contents because had a publisher taken it over, they would have the legal right to change it, edit it, remove it from publication, Uh, whatever. They would have every right as publisher to do with this book as they saw fit. And we certainly, God didn't want the the contents of this book in some other entity's hands. Now, that same Hank Parkhurst, right after the book was printed, he started drinking again. And even though Hank was married, he fell in love with Ruth Hock and Ruth primarily typed this book. Now she didn't type all the stories in the back of the book. Susan Smith, Dr. Bob's daughter, she wanted to practice typing. So she typed a lot of the stories in the back of the book and her typewriter, is visible on the table when you go to Akron, Ohio. One of the first things you'll see when you walk into the living room is the couch where Bill and Bob would take their morning quiet time together. And then as you look over to the left, you'll see Susan Smith's typewriter, on the table. It's an old, old typewriter. Good God, it's old. It's it's almost a uh, hundred years old now, I would assume at this point. Yeah. And that typewriter is really old. It probably doesn't work anymore, but you're not allowed to touch it. It's roped off. And you can see that she was doing one of the stories out of the back of the big book. And, but Hank Parkhurst, had started drinking again and he fell in love with Ruth Hock before he started drinking and he asked Ruth if she would run off with him and he was a married man and she said no she did not want to run off with him she was single but he was married and uh Hank Parkhurst assumed uh, erroneously, we think, erroneously, not saying Bill was a Boy Scout, but I don't think Bill was involved with Ruth Hawk. Maybe she was one of the few he wasn't involved with. No, I'm just kidding. But the bottom line is, is that he was not involved with her. But Hank uh, uh, believed that the only reason that she wasn't running off with him was because she was interested in Bill. So Hank wanted to destroy Alcoholics Anonymous. And he owned a bunch of furniture that was in that office and Bill gave him $200 for the furniture. But Hank Parkhurst kept running up and down the Eastern seaboard telling people that Bill had cheated him out of the $200. And you shouldn't give your money to AA because Bill was a crook and he was stealing the money. And people didn't know what to believe. And you had a guy down in Miami, Florida, and he was charging these alcoholics $100 for membership in Alcoholics Anonymous. And Bill caught wind of that in the 40s, and he wrote letters to this guy and said, what the heck is going on there? And the guy says, you don't understand, Bill, these Floridians down here, they're not going to do anything that you give them for free. If they don't pay for it, they won't participate. And Bill said, you've got to stop doing that. There are no dues or fees for membership in Alcoholics Anonymous. And he stopped. And then there were people who were running the the meetings and they were establishing all sorts of rules for membership and all sorts of crazy things. And all sorts of things started cropping up because Bill and Bob and the original guys could not be everywhere. It was, it was absolutely impossible for them to govern all of what was going on in AA. It was just not happening, it couldn't happen. And there were problems from within the fellowship. We, the big book is a product of the 1930s. Most of the AA literature is products of the 50s and the 60s. The 12 and 12 is a product of the 50s. A lot of their pamphlets, a lot of their things were products of the 50s and the 60s. But in the 40s, AA was blowing apart, blowing apart with schisms and fractional wars. And the the people in it, they wanted to schedule a, uh, a convention in Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. Bob was dying in 1950. He died in November of 1950 and they wanted the convention to be in Ohio. And the New York people said, we're not gonna go to Akron. We're not going to a little town like Akron, Ohio. And the Akron people said, well, we're not going to New York. We don't want to go with those high those riding New Yorkers. We don't want any part of those people. And the fight was on and they compromised. And the first convention was in Cleveland, so let's take a look at the paragraph, but I just want to paint the picture for you that in the post-big book period of time that occurred in the 1940s, Alcoholics Anonymous was in an adolescent period, and it was blowing apart. Let's continue. The test that it faced was this. Could these large numbers of erstwhile erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? Would there be quarrels over membership, leadership and money? Would there be strivings for power and prestige? Would there be schisms which would split AA apart? And the answer to all those questions was yes. Soon AA was beset by these problems on every side and in every group. But out of this frightening and at first disrupting experience, the conviction grew that AAs had to hang together or die separately. We had to unify our fellowship. Notice that fellowship is capitalized because it is something that's very special or pass off the scene. And so Dr. Bob was dying in the 1940s, but before he got sick, Bill and Bob knew that they could not be the governing voice of AA, for very long that they were going to pass off the scene at some point that there was going to be all kinds of problems because as it started to get into areas that they didn't live in it became more and more problematic i'm on page xix xix is 19 in roman numerals as we discover the principles what are the principles the steps by which the individual alcoholic could live. So we had to evolve principles by which the AA groups and AA as a whole could survive and function effectively. It was thought that no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded from our society, that our leaders, let's stop right there. We are told in the forward to the very first edition that the only Requirement for membership in Alcoholics Anonymous is an honest desire to stop drinking. And after that period of time, as these things started to evolve, they may build back off on that word honest so that today you have only to have a desire to stop drinking So when he talks about the society as a whole, when he talks about could we function effectively, we go to the traditions and the first tradition is our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on AA unity. So what he's saying there is above all else, above everything that you can name, Nothing comes before AA unity. Now, some of you may ask me during Q&A, why aren't you talking about OA? You have to remember that OA wasn't started until 1960, which was years after the formation of AA. AA started really in 1935 they were the drunk squad of the Oxford group. And then 25 years later in 1960, January the 19th, 1960, was the first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Now, the next sentence here, because remember, everything stems from our unity. Unity is above everything. So nothing, Nothing that follows can supersede the the first tradition. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. And you see some of those traditions being broken all the time when you have some of these various things, uh, these little schisms that'll develop within the 12 step program. But on the whole, let's keep in mind, nothing can take the place of unity. Very, very important. That it was thought that no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded from our society. And you know, I've said this before, and I'm gonna say this again. We have this idea, errantly, we have this idea that Bill Wilson met Bob Smith in Akron, Ohio, and AA sprung out of their ear, nothing could be further from the truth. The society that we know today, the society that we take for granted too much of the time was fraught with blood, sweat, and tears. That there were people who died so that we could have the gift of what we have today. And one of those people that died was Irma Lavoni, And Irma Lavoni gave her life so you could be here today. Now you may be asking who in the heck is Irma Lavoni? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you. <sighs> Alcoholics Anonymous got to Los Angeles, California before it got anywhere else west of the Mississippi. It kind of bounced from the Midwest all the way to Los Angeles, and then it kind of filled in the rest of the country and then went globally. There were meetings in Canada that Dave B formed, but let's take a look at something that happened in Los Angeles, California, in the immediate aftermath of the publication of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. There was a man out there and his name was Morty Joseph. And Morty Joseph was a guy, Jewish guy, but he was out there in Los Angeles, California, and he was drunk as drunk could be. And in early 1939, his wife, while visiting New York City, got a hold of a mimeographed copy of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You could get about $50,000 if you had one of those mimeographed copies now. You'd probably be worth a minimum of 50 grand, 45, 50 grand. But anyway, getting back to Morty Joseph, in the immediate aftermath, this would be the summer of 39, they had Morty Joseph's wife ran an ad in the Los Angeles newspaper. Wives, if your husband is a drunk, I have a cure for alcoholism. Meet at the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles at 10 o'clock Saturday morning, and we will address it. And these wives are looking at this advertisement in the Los Angeles paper, and they dragged about 20 poor souls by the ear to a place called the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles. When I was a kid, there was a cartoon show called Beanie and Cecil. And if you're very nice, one day I'll sing you the song from Beanie and Cecil, but only if, you, if you're very nice to me. But anyway, Beanie and Cecil were a Saturday morning cartoon show. And anyway, I don't want to get too sidetracked here because I'll go off into left field. Okay. So the Cecil Hotel, 1939, these poor guys come into the Cecil Hotel. None of them had ever been to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in their entire life. They had knew nothing about it. It was Morty Joseph's wife that got all charged up about this. And so Morty Joseph had the mimeographed copy of the book in front of him, and he opens up the chapter, How It Works. So he says to himself, well, if this is the chapter that describes how it works, let's read from this chapter so we know how it works. And he reads everything from rarely have we seen the person fail who has thoroughly followed our path, all the way through the ABCs. And in many, many, many thousands of meetings that I have been to personally, both in Chicago and the AA meetings in Eugene, Oregon that I attended and the meetings that are here in Scottsdale. Now we don't do that in, we didn't do that in Scottsdale but most of the meetings here begin with the reading that Morty Joseph did that day so long ago in Los Angeles. Now, the same guy, Morty Joseph, a few years later, 1943, mostly men in AA, mostly, in walks a gorgeous woman, and her name was Irma Lavoni. And Irma Lavoni was young and beautiful and very alcoholic. And she would sit in with the husbands while the wives would go sit in another room. And the wives were very uncomfortable with Irma Lavoni being in that room because Irma Lavoni was a prostitute. And they were most uncomfortable. And they got together and they implored Morty Joseph to write a letter to Irma asking her never to come back to the meetings. And he did. And at 33 years old in the mid forties, after receiving this letter, Irma died of her own alcoholism. She was in the meetings looking for help and because of her beauty, her youth and her profession, they excluded her. And even though Bill Wilson got wind of this and lit out for Los Angeles with Lois in hand, they took trains to get out to Los Angeles. They wanted to go there anyway. But when Bill found out what the heck was going on, he implored them never ever to do that again. That is not okay. We do not exclude somebody because they're beautiful. We do not exclude somebody because of their youth. We do not exclude people because of their profession. And they wrote another letter to her asking her to come back, and she would not. Now, Irma Lavoni, if you've never heard of her before, gave her life so you could have the fellowship that you enjoy today. There were people who were hurt along the way in other ways, but she is one of those characters that most people do not know about. And uh, we are either messengers of the recovery or we are carrying a cautionary tale. She carried a cautionary tale. She teaches us what it means to look at the essence of tradition three. The only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. You cannot be excluded because of your religion, your sexual preference, your race, your height, your weight, your eyesight—whatever that is. Your bad breath. I—I've I, gone to meetings. I'm going to meetings where uh, they, at the beginning of the meeting, they read, uh, you can't wear perfume in here and you can't wear aftershave in here and you can't chew gum in here and you can't wear deodorant. No, you can't wear scented deodorant in here and you can't do this and you can't do that. And I'm thinking to myself, are these people listening to themselves? Are these people really listening to themselves? Have they grasped the severity of Rule 62? What is Rule 62? It's in the AA 12 and 12. There was a guy who wrote into the AA office and he came up with 61 rules for membership in AA. And Bill wrote back a letter to him Let's institute rule 62. Don't take yourself so seriously. I don't care who you are, what you are. I don't care about any of that stuff because nothing supersedes the traditions. So if you have to chew gum, I'm not a gum chewer. Even in my darkest days except for the gum from baseball cards and uh if you are from chicago like me there was a place called Fluky's hot dogs and a place called wolfies hot dogs also and they used to give out little hot dog gum and it was like cherry bubble it was the best gum you ever put in your mouth in your life and each piece looked like a little cocktail frank like a little hot dog that gum would get me excited but I am not a gum chewer I never was a gum chewer and to me I just I get tired of it like after a minute the only kind of gum I ever really chewed was the gum from the baseball cards and when I was a kid there was something that you could get called tattoos you'd lick your thing you'd lick your your hand and then you'd put this tattoo on there and you'd it would be like a clown or it'd be like Batman or Superman or whatever the heck it was. And then they had this grape gum. But other than that, I'm not a gum chewer. You want to chew gum and that's what you feel you need to be in the meeting. You chew your gum and you do whatever the hell you need to do. You need to wear perfume. I'll sit upwind of you, but except for Wolfie's gum, flukey's gum, no gum for me, I'm not a gum chewer, but if you need to chew, chew gum, you go right ahead and chew your gum. If you need to wear perfume, wear perfume, do whatever the hell you need to do, especially now that we're all on Zoom. I don't know what you smell like and I don't care. Just come to the meeting. So we we have these meetings where there's all these rules and you can't do this. And I'm thinking to myself, have you ever matched this up with the traditions? Have you ever matched up what you're demanding of people with the traditions? And I was in meetings. Now I knew Fred Schneider. And now if you don't know who Fred Schneider was, he's gone now. He was the one that started the Howl program. Fred Schneider was a school teacher in New York, in Brooklyn, New York. He came to Evanston, Illinois, and he brought to the Chicago area the HOW program. Honest, open, willing. Honest, open, willing. And what they did was they did some real weird stuff they had like a step up ceremony. I don't know if they still do. I haven't been to a how meeting in 30 years, 35 years. They used to do a step up ceremony. After you take step three, they would give you a plant. I don't know what the plant was. I don't know what the plant was. I have no idea what the plant was about, but they would give you a plant and they would step you up And everybody at the meeting would go crazy and, you know, would cheering you on and blah, blah, blah. And they had this step up ceremony. And then they, instead of doing a four step, like we, I'm going back a long time. So if Howe doesn't do this anymore, don't attack me. I have not been to a Howe meeting since somewhere around the Ronald Reagan administration. Believe me when I tell you, I have not. but the bottom line is, is that they also did a, a autobiography instead of like a, um, a four-step. They would do, because it says on page 76, if you told someone else all your life story. Well, that's what they did. Anyway, I'm going off into left field. Let's go back to the traditions. But the, what I'm trying to say to you is we cannot institute anything in our meetings that will affect unity, that will affect our primary purpose or anything, but let's continue. It was thought that no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded from our society, Irma Lavoni, that our leaders might serve, but never govern. Oh, that's tradition two. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. And what that means is nobody in OA has the right to tell another person how they should work their program. If I'm sponsoring you and you don't want to do it my way, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But what I will say is I'm probably not the sponsor for you. I'm probably not the proper sponsor for you because my way of doing it is different from what you're doing. And that's okay, I respect it, but we are probably not a good match. But I'm not gonna tell you what to do. Each group was to be autonomous. Autonomous means it is an entity unto itself. Auto means self and autonomous means it is going to be an entity by itself. Tradition for each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Very, very important. Now, there was a group for a while, it was a group for a while, I don't know how long, they were down in Kentucky and they were requiring people that met at their house of worship to work a program that was more in line with that religious body, that is not okay. What we mean by autonomous is you have the right as a group to make rules for you, but what does it say? Because they're a kicker. It says, except when to do so, would no, except each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. So if you're affecting our unity, if you're affecting who can come, if you're affecting who can participate, then you're you're in violation of those traditions. Very, very important. Now, when I was very young in OA, very young, I'm going back to 79, 80, 81, there were gobs of meetings for this profession and that group and this orientation and that orientation and that direction and this direction and all those meetings imploded. Because once you start to exclude people who are not of your profession, sometimes you get these guys, well, they're doctors or they're nurses or they're whatever they are. And these are meetings that only we will understand our problems. Once you start to set yourself apart from the group, you are in dangerous water. Remember that the ego has three jobs. Make me right. Make me feel good right now, and make me different from other people. Make me better than them, make me worse than them, but not the same as them. In my ego madness, I never see myself as being one of you. In my ego madness, I say I'm better than you, or you are better than me. I never look at you. And that's why you'll hear me say this. Steps five and nine are the great emancipators because when five and nine are taken effectively, we can now look the world in the eye that we see ourselves as bozos on the bus. And when we start to take that autonomy to a ridiculous end, we can do more harm then good. Let's be compulsive over eaters. Let's not go beyond the fact that we are different from normal eaters. But when we start to take that difference to an absurd level, and we start to say, well, we're flight attendants, we can only understand each other, or we're dental hygienists, chenists, or we can only understand each other, or we're whatever we are, that becomes absurdly dangerous. If I blocked out everything else and I, I let you hear what somebody, how they think about food, how they react to food, you would find that we are absolutely the same. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care if you're tall or short or gay or straight or yellow or green or Jew or Gentile or Muslim or Buddhist. I don't care or atheist. I don't care. We are all the same. We really are. There was to be no professional class of therapy. Okay, each each group has but Oh wait, an AA group would never endorse. Fund. No, 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 no. What am I looking for here? Okay, Alcoholics and Tradition Eight. Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. That means when we have a convention coming up, we are gonna have to employ people to do certain things that we are not expert in. When the building that OA office is in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is another story, but used to be in Torrance, California, but whatever, okay. When they need a plumber, when they need a roofer, they call the people that are professionals. We're not gonna go up there as volunteers and fix the roof or fix the plumbing. They need to get people in there. That's what that means. That there are no fees or dues, our expenses were to be met by our own voluntary contributions. Tradition seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. In the 1930s, starting in about 35, 36, as there started to be more people filtering through these meetings, they would pass the hat and paper money almost never got into the hat. Guys would put in a penny, guys would put in a nickel, guys would put in a dime or a quarter. This is what they had. This was the height of the depression. And as such, AA made its expenses. So people say, well, what if we go under? Well, what if? If God wants us to go under, then I'm sure he has a better idea. But we have flourished thusly. Even AA itself, not AA. Oh, I don't know about AA. OA itself will put out things. You should give $3 a meeting. You should give $2 a meeting. You can give nothing. That's okay. You can give a million dollars. You can give nothing. But we do not accept outside donations for a long time, years. I was an intergroup rep to the Arizona Serenity and the Desert Intergroup. I was the very first vice chair of the North Chicago Intergroup. OA came into Chicago and they said, guys, we need to split this up. The South Side, the North Side, North Suburban and South Suburban and West Suburban Intergroups all came about at the behest of OA Central Office. And when we split up, and we started the North Suburban or the North side. I was the first vice chair. And I, we would get these checks in and nobody knew who was giving us these checks. Back they went back they went. We do not accept any money unless we know who you are and that you are indeed a member of Overeaters Anonymous. In my work here with the inner group here, there were times when we returned checks because it would come from an attorney's office and we couldn't get our hands on the information as to who was leaving the money. Back it went and we survive, and we have flourished thusly. We have not had any problems. Passing the hat works because people are generally going to give and and that's what we need. By the way, this Zoom room is not free. You may tune in and you think it may be free, but it is not free. We pay for this. This is something that we pay for. So give what you can, give when you can, and if you can't, don't. If you can, do. Let's continue. There was to be the least possible organization, even in our service centers. Now, let's take a look at this tradition here. And it says... AA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. We're coming up on the OA birthday, which unfortunately breaks my heart, is not going to be an in-person convention. I love going to Los Angeles. I get in days early and we play and we go to meetings and we We go and they go to the beach and they sit on the beach and I don't do that because how am I gonna get up and all that, but we do and we have a lot of fun and there's hugging and there's laughing and there's crying in the lobby of that LAX Hilton. But the committee that runs that convention answers to you. You do not answer to it, it answers to you. I love when they go to the beach and they come back and they say, what a miracle, what a miracle, the sun came up. And I think that's great that the sun came up, but this is just me, this is how my brain works. And if it scares you, it scares me too. But my brain works like this, sitting in the lobby of the Los Angeles Hilton, LAX Hilton, are people who through horrible conditions, using the 12 steps of overeaters anonymous have overcome a vicious addiction and they are here to tell the story. That's the miracle. The sun coming up is great and that's beautiful. But I believe that a miracle, and I know I'm off in left field right now, but that's okay. I'm going to stay out in left field for just a second here. A miracle is something in my opinion for which there's no explanation. And the sun coming up, there's an explanation for it. The sun doesn't do anything. It's the earth that revolves around. So when we get around again, it looks like the sun is coming up. The sun hasn't gone anywhere. Ask Galileo, he'll tell you. But when a human being who is addicted to food, who pissed away their life because of milk duds, When that person is sitting in the lobby of the LAX Hilton, and we are crying together and laughing together and sharing together and hugging and sitting next to each other as survivors of the most horrific shipwreck imaginable, and that person doesn't want to compulsively overeat, that's the miracle. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. You don't have to go to Los Angeles to see the sun come up. It's great. And I, I don't wanna piss off the person that leads that ex that excursion on all the days that we're together. I don't want her mad at me. I don't, I really don't want her mad at me. She's, she's a great friend and she's wonderful. And I don't wanna piss her off. But the real miracle is sitting next to you in the lobby of the hotel. And through the pain and the suffering of this addiction, the pitiful and the incomprehensible demoralization, this person has managed to put themselves together and come to a convention that they were scared to death to come to. They're scared of the people. They're scared about how they're gonna look and who's gonna think what of them. And they're scared of what they're gonna see there. And there they are in the face of their fear. That's the thing not to miss that's the thing not to miss. Let's continue. Our public relations were to be based on attraction rather than promotion. We had a question and I answered the question uh, on vision the other day. Now, if we're supposed to be uh, not promoting this, what's the difference between 12-step work and promotion? And I'll explain that. But I want to let you know that if Clarence Snyder were here, he would say that damn Bill Wilson was the biggest promoter you ever saw in your life, and that nobody violated this tradition more than Bill Wilson. And history bears that out. History bears that out. But let's take a look at the difference between promotion and um, and and the uh, and and uh, proselytizing. If a person is not interested in this, if they are not interested in this, we leave them alone. I'll teach you a Yiddish expression, lozum gain, leave them alone. Lozum gain, leave them alone. But if a person is here and they're slipping and sliding, but they keep coming to meetings, carry the message as best you can. That's the difference between promotion and attraction. That's the difference between what we're doing. We're carrying a message, but not to the people who don't want it. Bill Wilson, he had lots of enthusiasm. He sobered up on the 14th of December, 1934. And by early 1935, before he even met Bob Smith, he was ready to go, man. He was ready to charge out there and he was gonna sober up the world. Man, he had lots of enthusiasm and he'd bring these drunks home to his house on uh, 182 Clinton Street in Brooklyn. By the way, go to 182 Clinton Street and just go there and think of all the people that have walked up those stairs. My God, if you're not in tears, you're dead. You, you're, you're just dead. But the bottom line is, these guys didn't want to go. He was promoting AA to those who didn't want it. But when a person is coming in and they're broken and they're shattered, and they're in the meeting or they're in the Zoom room or they're in the whatever, they're in, on the phone and vision, that's the person you carry the message to. That's the person that you carry the message to. Carry the message also to the people that have been around for many years that are dying of their untreated addiction. Just because someone has years and years of attending meetings doesn't mean they're in recovery. Sometimes you are going to deal with people that have been around for a very long time that are dying of their untreated addiction. Those are the ones you bring it to. It was decided that all members ought to be anonymous at the level of press, radio, TV, and films. Tradition 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films, they've added in or other public forms of communication. Now, if I tell you that my last name is Grabowski or I tell you that I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, or I tell you who's speaking at a meeting or a retreat or a convention, is that a break of anonymity? No, no. Under the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public form of communication, we are not a secret society. How in the world would I ever visit you in a hospital if I didn't know your last name? Now, I'm going to, if I say to So and so, I haven't seen Larry Kay for a while. Larry Kay seemed to be struggling. Now I haven't seen him for a long time. Have you seen Larry Kay? And you say, no, I haven't seen him. Is that a violation of traditions? No. We're concerned about him. We're not gossiping. Hey, did you see what Larry K was wearing to the meeting the other day? What a jerk. We don't talk like that. But if I say I haven't seen him for a long time, he seemed to be struggling. Have you seen him? And you say to me, no, now I'm concerned. Now I better give him a call. Or if you say to me, yeah, he started coming to some other meetings because his work schedule changed. He seems to be doing fine. That's all I need to hear, guys. That's all I need to hear. Let's continue. So let's not take this anonymity to some absurd point, to some absurd point. It's it's at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public forms of communication. It is not, oh, Karen, How's she been? What's going on? I haven't seen her for a while. Oh, she's okay. She's going to different meetings. She seems to be doing fine. Great. I expressed a concern about someone I know is afflicted with this disease. They're going to other meetings. That's fine. No problem. We're good. How's Karen? Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen her for a long time. Last I heard, Joe Blow told me she was struggling. Uh Uh-oh, I better call her. Uh Uh-oh, I better call her. That's what that means. Let's continue. This was the substance of AA's 12 traditions, which are stated in full on page 561 of this book. Though none of these principles had the force of rules or laws, these principles are the traditions, not the steps. They had become so widely accepted by 1950 that they were confirmed by our first international conference held at Cleveland. Today, the remarkable unity of AA is one of the greatest assets that our society has. The tradition started in the Grapevine magazine in 1945. Bill Wilson, the Grapevine magazine, for those who do not know, is a monthly publication by AA. AA. And it is parallel to what we used to have that was called the Lifeline. We had a magazine in OA, they just stopped doing it in print called Lifeline. And the reason that they stopped printing it was because it was no longer cost effective. With everybody getting things online, fewer and fewer people were subscribing to Lifeline in its printed form. But it was for many years, like having a meeting that you could carry with you. There were speakers in there and that's how we found out what was going on. Like there was no internet at that time. So if there was a, let's say I was visiting uh, Syracuse, New York, just take that as an example. I'm going to Syracuse, New York. Well, I could look in the lifeline and I could see, oh, in uh, Albany, New York, on August 3rd, 4th and 5th, there's a retreat or in in Rensselaer, New York, there's a retreat or in Syracuse, there's this or there's that. So it would give me information because I'm going to that part of the country anyway, or in New Jersey or whatever. I had an option now of saying, I'm gonna to go to that. Hey, I didn't know that. But now with the internet, you don't really need something that's printed like that. You can just look it up yourself and it's fine. And that's why they really stopped it. You can still subscribe to it online, but you can't get a printed copy of Lifeline. If you don't subscribe to Lifeline, You may wanna check it out. It's at OA.org, click on Lifeline and see if it's something that you think would benefit you. It's a monthly thing and there's a lot of information in there. There's questions and answers. There's people write their stories, things like that. Okay, where was I going with that? Oh, um, I was going in the direction of, yes, there are things that we have at our disposal that's information, but beneath the level of radio, films, TV, radio, other public forms of communication, we we don't have to be anonymous. You can know my last name, I can know your last name, unless you don't wanna tell me, that's fine too that's okay too, you know, and if you want to use a fictitious name, if you, you know, I'm Curly Howard, or I'm Woody Woodpecker, whatever. it's all good, it's all good, it's all totally good, all right, bottom of page XIX, XIX is 19 in Roman numerals, the bottom paragraph, oh, where, where was I going with that, oh, sorry, my, my old adult brain. The reason that I brought up Grapevine and Lifeline, Grapevine is the monthly magazine. So in 1945, Bill Wilson started publishing articles about these traditions, these proposed traditions. And by 1950, he had put enough, all of it, into circulation throughout the fellowship. So they were starting to say, yes, this is a good idea. No, that's not a good idea. And then in 1950, at the convention in Cleveland, they adopted the 12 traditions as we know them today. What a miracle that the society and its founders had the foresight to lay these things down for us so that we could have a society that will be around for 50,000 million zillion years. That as long as we govern ourselves according to these traditions, we will never go the way of the Washingtonians. And the Washingtonians went up and then they went out the Washingtonians, if you don't know who they were, I don't have, I only have two minutes. I don't have the time to go into it today, but the Washingtonians were a society, a temperance society formed in Baltimore. And they went under because they had all kinds of opinions on slavery and what laws should be passed. And oh, they all kinds of stuff. They got embroiled in a lot of outside issues. Bottom of 19, while the internal difficulties of our adolescent period were being ironed out, the public acceptance of AA grew by leaps and bounds. For this, there was two principal reasons, the large numbers of recoveries and reunited homes. They made their impressions everywhere. And I'm gonna stop right there because to, to read the next sentence, would mean that we would have to have a long discussion. And we're gonna put that discussion of the next couple of sentences off until next year. So what I'm gonna do, and before I turn it back to Karen Kay, I'm going to open up Q&A, but before I do, I just wanna say a few things. Number one, if you asked a question last week, would you please be a dear and step back so that people who did not ask a question can come forward. And I'm going to also ask no math questions and no food questions for the love of God, no math questions. I can remember very distinctly. The only way I passed algebra was my mother had to go to, go to school and Mrs. Leonard, made a deal with my mother that she would pass me with a D as long as I agreed not to take any more math. And I agreed enthusiastically. And then my counselor at math or my homeroom teacher at Mather said, you got to take geometry. And I said, Oh no, but I had to pass it and I had to take it, but I couldn't get out of it. Oh, I tried. I would have, I would have, detailed the principal's car if they would have let me just not take any more math, but I couldn't get out of it. There was nothing I could have do. Okay. No math. No food. And if you asked a question last week, step back and let somebody else come forward. Okay. Karen, I'm going to give it back to you.
0: Thank you, Harlan. I'd also like to thank uh, Johan N. for being our co-hosts, Larry K. and Sue L. And I'm going to turn the Q&A over to uh, Sue L. And the question and answer will not be recorded. Thank you very much for your service.